The following Bible study is from the teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. For more studies and information, go to graceteaching.net. And now, here's our Bible study. Exactly, I know. So, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful for the time together and for celebrating birthdays and for good food. Help us to be those that are always thankful for food because uh, we realize that uh, that's not a thing necessarily that is guaranteed. And we realize there are people that it is hard to come by. And yet we not only are able to eat it daily, but we're able to actually eat quite a variety. So help us to be thankful for the fact that you provide for us in this way. Thankful for the time together now, thankful for your word, and thankful for the spirit who dwells in us to help us to appreciate the things on the page. And we thank you for it. <clears throat> Amen. So this, uh, go to the end of John 9. This has been the longest I think we've spent on any of these signs uh, each week. We've been... Uh, but we're down at the end, and I had some some verses. Most of tonight we will not be, I don't think, in John. I just want to kind of put together, as he's talking about healing the blind man, if you remember, this is connected with Jesus being the light of the world. Light of the world. And uh, how was he the light of the world? What did he do? He did what? He lived out eternal life. God's he, eternal life. He lived out eternal life. And he. how did he live that out? What did he do? Did the Father's will. He did the Father's will, and he did these works the Father gave to them. And those we've been seeing that in the Gospel of John. He says, I've come to do my Father's will, not my own. I've come to do the works that the Father gave me to do. And that included healing the blind man. Because remember, that was the question that his disciples asked at the get-go. Did this man sin or his parents that he was born blind? And he goes, well, it was neither one of them. This man was born blind, and I might work the works of God. And so at the end of this, this becomes an opportunity for him, for he and the blind man to interact, for the blind man to interact with the, with the religious leaders. And we read this at the end. <clears throat> if you go to verse 39, what, what? John 9, verse 39, oh <clears throat> excuse me. And Jesus said, for, uh, for judgment, <clears throat> I have come into the world that the ones not seen may see and the ones seen might become blind. And the Pharisees heard this, or literally some from the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees heard these things that were uh, being said. And they said to him, uh, surely we are not blind. And that's a question in the Greek, which is asked in a way that they're expecting him to go, no, you're not. But in reality, it is, is exactly what he's talking about. Because he said to them, Jesus says, if you were blind, then you would not have sin. But now since you say that we see your sin remains. We talked a little bit about that at the end of our study last week, that a person that, a person that is blind, as he's talking about this, if, uh, if you were blind, you would not have sin, because a blind person actually has to be given illumination by God to recognize their problem. This is going to tie in, we, we saw, um, let's just make sure we're all on the same page, turn to chapter 16. John? Here in John, yes. This is going to tie in with something that the Holy Spirit does. And as we said last week, this is something you can't do. You can try to do this, 
But in reality, this is the Spirit's work. And this goes in verse 2. It says uh, in verse 7, But I tell you the truth, it is better that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And when that one comes, he will reprove the world concerning three things. Concerning sin, not that you, oh, concerning sin, righteousness, judgment. Verse 9, concerning sin, not that you are bad people and do all kinds of bad stuff, but that you do not believe in me. That's the sin specifically that he, uh, that he talks about. And then there's also a matter of, of righteousness and a judgment. And when I talk with people and share the gospel, I do try to keep these things in mind, but I'm not going to try to do the Spirit's work. This is what he clearly is saying. This is what the Spirit reproves, convinces the world of. So the world takes a blind person that thinks they're, maybe they're, they, they think sort of that they're okay. Um, I, my, my experience, I think, is largely, Leslie's expressed this a few times, and I, and I think this has been my experience, that most of the time when you talk to people, they go, yeah, I'm a sinner. Most people don't think, oh, I don't sin. Most people are like, I know I do bad stuff. I know I sin. But most people think, but it's not that bad. So I, you don't even go compared down. Compared to everybody else. Compared to, yeah, yeah. There is like everybody else's, yeah. yeah. And so this is one of the things, and this is what we're going to look at tonight, is we're going to walk through some, some different scriptures on exactly what he's talking about. Now I want to go over to chapter 12 here in John. Because remember, the whole purpose of, the reason we're going through these signs in the first place is we're kind of doing a, a run through the first part of the book to get to the upper room. So I am going to try to connect a couple of these things with some things Jesus says in the upper room, just because I don't think, if you don't see those, you won't appreciate what he means by that somewhat cryptic statement at the end. If you were blind, you wouldn't have sin. But since you say that you see, well, then your sins remain. What in the world does that mean? Well, Hopefully, when we're done tonight, you'll understand what Jesus is talking about. So in chapter 12, in verse 35, Therefore Jesus said to them, Yet a little while, and the light is uh, among you. Walk while you have the light, in order that the darkness should not overtake you. The one walking in darkness, he doesn't know where he goes. This would be a person that's blind, is certainly walking in darkness, and it was clues to what's going on. Uh, while you have the light, believe in the light that you might in turn be sons of light. Did you see what he's saying there? He's telling them they need to believe in him. That's what he's getting at. Because remember, when Jesus walked the earth, they did not believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Best example of that, go to Luke 18. Jesus tells them about that, his disciples, and it tells us his disciples are in Luke 18. Three times in the same verse, they had no clue what he was talking about. And yet they'd been proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and the good news about Jesus Christ because what they had to do when he walked the earth was they had to look at this man and say, you're God. That's what was required. That's not enough today. That is something a person needs to believe today, according to, according to the scriptures. And you need to look and say, ah, oh, he's not just a man, this God. But you really need to believe in his death for your sins, his burial, and his resurrection. Those are the key facets of the gospel today. And so he says, while you have the light, believe in the light. And Jesus then, I mean, I'm going to move over to the English here. I'm going to get caught up. After Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid from them. And although he had performed many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. Verse 37 is one of these verses you have in the Gospel of John that is so important. And it shows you the problem of the Old Testament faith versus ours. 
Old Testament faith needed something by sight to encourage it. You and I today, the very definition we have in Hebrews 11.1 1, is that faith is without sight. So if you are asking for God to give you proof of what you're supposed to do, you're asking for the wrong thing. You're supposed to just see his promise and say, that's true. Okay, it has to be a promise for you, by the way. I think we all know that. Here's an example. We have several of these in John where you have people that they see signs, but they still don't believe. It's still never enough. Okay, and I, I don't know about you, but I've had conversations with people that say, oh, if Jesus would just show up and do signs, and I'm like, he walked among mankind for 33 years, and he did miracles. He did these signs for three years, and they still put him on a cross. Most people did not believe him. He was rejected by the majority. Goes on, verse 38. This was to fulfill the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And I believe this is Isaiah 3. I didn't go back to look at this, but I'm pretty sure this is Isaiah. Um, actually, my note down below says it's Isaiah 53, but I thought this was an Isaiah 3. Anyway, pardon me. The Lord who, is, uh, Lord who has believed our message. Oh, it's the next part down below is, the, is where I was thinking of us. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord be re been revealed? So they could not believe because Isaiah also said, He has blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, so that they might not look with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. In other words, this was judgment on them. That was exactly what he commissioned Isaiah to do, was to go and harden these people. Who's going to go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, Lord. And the mission was not to go and evangelize the people. It was to go and proclaim a news that was actually going to harden, make their eyes blind and harden their hearts in judgment because of what they were doing. Go back and read that in Isaiah. God was actually judging these people for what they had done. Isaiah said this because he saw his glory and spoke about him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities or the leaders from the Pharisees, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. For they for feared that they would be put out of the synagogue, much like we just looked at in the, in the sign miracle of healing the blind man in John 9. For they loved human glory more than, more than the glory that is from God. Then Jesus cried aloud, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Which we just looked at that. Did we just look at that on Sunday? I think it was. Where um, in John 14, where um, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. And he says, what? you're asking to see the Father? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Why? Because they're the same person? No, they're the same God. And the Son didn't do anything different than the Father would have done if the Father would have come down and become man. That wasn't the plan of the Trinity. The plan of the Trinity was the Son would become man and do this. But they did the same things. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. Uh, we're going we're gonna to stop there because there's, there's a lot more we could get caught up in this. The whole point is, is this is really carrying on this whole idea of these people seeing Jesus, seeing what he's doing, and they're witnessing light. They're witnessing God's life, eternal life, in action in the Son of God by the actions, by the signs that he's doing, but they're rejecting it. They're rejecting it. Remember in John 9? Oh, we know this man's born in sin. <laughs> Blind man goes, well, whether he was born in sin, I don't know. He says, God doesn't hear sinners. And yet God certainly did something miraculous to him. This is the conclusion of the blind man as he looks at this. 
So let's go from here. Let's go over to John 14, 26. And we'll hit these again when we get to the upper room and go through this. But just to, to point this out, verse 26, it's Jesus' second statement about the, the Spirit in the upper room. And he says, but the encourager or helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, that one will teach you all things. Now, there's a question. Is he saying this, this is for you 11 disciples in this upper room? He's going to teach you guys? Well, whether that's the case or not, the next part clearly is for them when he says, and he will remind you of all things that I've said. Now, he doesn't remind me of all things Jesus said because I wasn't around to hear all those things. But he reminded those disciples, which, by the way, I always think is funny when you read books about the Bible being written and they go, Matthew must have had a book of sayings of Jesus somewhere that he had to be able to write all that stuff. And I'm going, Matthew was there for most of this. He heard these things and he had a promise, supernatural promise that, that the Holy Spirit would remind him of the things that he heard. Because I can guarantee you if Matthew was like me, doesn't remember everything. Just ask my wife. We have conversations and two days later she says, remember when we talked about this? And I'm like, what? We talked about what? <laughs> it's not, a, that's not being a good husband, by the way, but, uh, but that is, but that is somewhat is human nature that we don't always remember well right. or exactly what we talked, what a person we might have talked about in a situation. Here, the Holy Spirit divinely helped them remember these things, and that was true for three of the Gospels, clearly. Matthew, Mark, because Mark was Peter's amanuensis, his writer, his secretary, and so he's recording what Peter said, and so Peter has the divine memory, and then John. Luke's the, the oddball in there, but we won't, we're not here to talk about that subject tonight. Chapter 16, and that's not saying anything bad about Luke. I'm not saying that's anything bad about Luke. John 16, and look at verse 12 now. He says, Yet I have many things to say to you, but you are not able to bear them now. You can't put up with them now. And I always think, who's going to tell them, oh, the law is going to end, and the temple is going to cease to be, and you're not going to have a priesthood. In fact, the temple is going to be destroyed by the Romans, and you're going to be relating to God completely on grace, and I'm not going to be around here ruling. I'm going to be sitting at the Father's right hand in heaven, and you're all going to be count. I and the Father are going to count you to be sitting there with me in Christ, and I'm going to come down, and I'm going to indwell all of you. This would have blown them out of the water. Now, he kind of gives the foundation of that in this upper room, but just think those things right there. What does he say? You can't bear those things right now. If I told you what's coming, what I'm going to do, you guys couldn't handle it. It would be too much. It'd be like, you know, you ever overfeed a little baby, and, you know. So he says, you will not be able to bear them. But when that one comes, the spirit of truth, he will guide you in all the truth. So he's going to be the guide. He's going to be the one that's going to help you understand the truth, how it is all explained after Pentecost. Most of what Jesus said during his earthly ministry had nothing directly to do with you and I. It was about his ministry with Israel, fulfilling his Old Testament expectation to be Israel's anointed king, their Messiah. Messiah is a cheat because the word actually means anointed. 
just like Christ. If we translated those words, we'd say the anointed one. And the Jews all would have said, oh, the king. They all knew what that was talking about. That's what the gospels were about. But when you come to the when you come over into the epistles, all this changes. He isn't king yet. Remember? How many times in all the New Testaments is Jesus mentioned as king? One time. One time in 1 Timothy. And Paul says, king out there when he's revealed. <laughs> they never refer to him as king in the epistles. And in fact, Josh went over this with us not too long ago, the title Christ even changes. It still means anointed, but now the emphasis Peter tells us over in Acts 2 has to do with the fact that he's resurrected and exalted. He's not exalted. He's not anointed as our king. Okay, so there's even a different emphasis for us with regard to his title Christ, what that brings out. But he says he's going to guide you in all that truth. And he says, for he will not speak from himself, but whatever things he hears he will speak, and things that are to come he will announce to you, and that one will glorify me. So much of the ministry of the Spirit, I'm teaching those little daily videos that I'm doing. I'm talking about the regenerating ministry of the Spirit. And if I didn't tell you at the beginning, you might go, this isn't about the Spirit at all. This is all about Christ. And you know why? Because the Spirit in regenerating does something to connect us with Christ. And that is exactly what he says he's going to do. He's going to glorify Christ. He's not there to say, hey, look at me, what I'm doing. Look at me, what I'm doing. The Holy Spirit's down here to say, look at him. Look at him. Look at who, what he is. So this both of these, the significance of both these statements in John 14, 26, and then this one over here with regard to this, both of these are pictured ahead of time with what Jesus was showing himself as the light of the world and by the fact that we could have this light uh, consisting of light back in John 8 and John 12, we could become sons of light. All of that comes together for us to understand that, see, he's doing something new. And the Holy Spirit plays a key role in bringing all that together for us. Okay. Does that make sense what we're saying? What we're looking at? How this light, him showing us, he's not here. He says, I'm, I'm the light while I'm here in the world. But when I'm gone, you guys are going to be the ones that are going to have the light of life. How? Because he dwells in us. Something they didn't understand at that time. Because it wasn't true then. But it's true now. And because of that, we have eternal life. And because we have eternal life, we can live out light. Right. So, yeah, one of the things that I'm sure I heard it in one of the teachings or whatever from church, but that Jesus was the first human to live out eternal life, and that's an example to us when we look at how he lived his life, right. that light. Yeah, and, that, and we base that off a statement he makes in John 5. He says that the Father gave the Son to have life in himself. In the realm of his human nature, he was the first human being to walk around with eternal life. Remember, we've been over this. The Old Testament people, even Old Testament believers we're talking about, they had to, Daniel 12 tells us, they had to wait to get their eternal life in the resurrection. Not wondering, am I going to get it? No, they knew they were going to get eternal life, but they just had to wait for the resurrection. That's different. A lot of churches today teach, you don't know if you're going to get eternal life. You have to wait till the resurrection to find out whether you get it or not. That's not true. And you have you it have right now. It. What? You just have to believe it. Yeah, yeah, you, that's right. I do have another question. Yeah. yeah. So, I, um, so, based on my, I guess, past experience, or before I got into studying the Bible, I, I kind of understood what it meant to be. I'm talking about the Trinity, what it meant to be the Father man, what the Son, Jesus Christ man. But the one that always kind of confused me, the one that was 
kind of really didn't understand was the Holy Spirit. And I also see that that's kind of, well, for me, based on what I've experienced, it's kind of the one that gets left out. They always kind of forget to mention it. And like you were saying right now, that Jesus Christ said he glorifies the Father. And the Spirit kind of glorifies Jesus Christ. Right. And so I was just wondering if there's anything where it says that of the spirit gets who, who glorifies the spirit? Just yeah. 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 He shall glorify me. Yes. Yeah. Well, the spirit is going to glorify yeah. Christ, yeah. yes. But he was asking who glorifies the spirit then. Oh. I'm going to write that down as a question and look at that, unless somebody's got an answer. I don't think his feelings are hurt because mm -hmm. he's glorifying Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all one God. Yeah, or maybe he doesn't so, need to be glorified. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that, yeah. Or maybe just, part of his role in the Trinity. Maybe yeah. he just my, my flippant answer would be that it's his role in the Trinity yeah. that he's the one that's not glorified. Yeah. It's the Son's place to be put out front and the Father's. The Father planned it, the Son is the communicator, and then the, the Holy Spirit is the one that beautifies. He arranged the heavens, he's the one that produces the fruit in our lives. He's the one that. Translates us into being yeah. like gives us a translation, right? Oh, from death to life, like, darkness to life. Darkness of, yeah, right. This cool. isn't exactly an answer to a question, but there's two verses that come to mind. One is by is Jesus, he's been casting out some demons, and he's been doing it by the power of the Spirit. So he's real, excuse me, he's relying on the Spirit to cast demons out, and they go, he casts out demons. By Beelz, I think it's Beelzebub in that passage, the prince of demons. And Jesus says that's called blasphemy against the spirit. And he says, you can blaspheme me all you want. That'll be for, you can be forgiven of that. Change your mind about me. You can, but it won't be forgiven even in the age to come if you blaspheme the spirit. Which to me, that's really amazing. That's really kind of holding the spirit up there going, you got to watch out. And Paul says something similar in Hebrews 10. That he says... Um, kind of in essence, kind of in summary in the book of Hebrews, if you don't want to grow up, if you don't want to mature, and you're going to tell God that you're okay staying where you are, that, he says, is an insult to the Spirit. And he says, what kind of worse punishment a person you think is deserving to say, I'm not going to do what the Spirit wants me to do. I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to be this way. Does he say a worse punishment, or does he say the expectation? He says you expect worse punishment. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't say you're actually going to get it, but you expect it. So, yeah. you know, you but the whole book of Hebrews is set up that way. If Israel, if Israel suffered judgment, how much more judgment are we under if we ignore this great salvation? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And ignore grace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So does anybody like worship the Spirit or you know, I, I, that's what I have worked on, and I don't know that there is a passage that actually states that we worship the Spirit. The closest might be that if when we baptize a person, if we happen to verbally say the formula, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I don't know that Jesus meant for us to repeat that verbally over them. I don't think it's wrong, but what? It doesn't work unless you say that. It doesn't work unless you say that. Okay. Yeah. But but in that you're joking. In case anyone was wondering, <laughs> I think we figured that out. That yeah, we figured that out. <laughs> but but in that then 
you do really that is kind of a worshipful statement because you're saying saying this person we're you're baptizing them this word it's God. yeah and you're connecting him with a singular name that is held by the father the son and the spirit it's one name that all three of them share and that's a that's a really big deal so that's i would say that's a statement of worship though you never have said worship the spirit specifically but so but i will look some more on that in well worship god in spirit and truth so yeah Spirit is yeah. God. Jesus well, is people, God. God is God. Like the fact that the spirit could break inside somebody. Right? Sorry, say it again. Somebody, like somebody could, like say, like I hope the spirit inside him, like grows. You know what I mean? Like I hope the spirit inside him works. Like it does something. Like maybe that should be as well. Also, maybe. I, like I said, I'm gonna. I wrote that question down. I'm gonna. It's your question, but I'm gonna have to come back. I'm gonna have to think about that a little bit more. Okay. Hold on before you move on. Sure. We were also discussing over here about. Um, so this phrase always kind of. I wrestle with what it really means to take hold of eternal life, right? Because. When you started today, you're talking about how Jesus lived out eternal life. And then Jesus healed blind people and he like he did all these amazing things. And so are we saying that all of that stuff is part of living out eternal life? And if so, then what does it mean for us today to take hold of eternal life when I'm definitely not walking around wiping mud on people's eyes and they now can see? Not from the right. Okay. Um, I feel like I'm, this is something you have talked about like a lot, a lot, and I probably should get it by now, but I don't. No, I'm just, I'm just trying to think. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of a. I'm just trying to think of a simple way to, to, uh, to demonstrate that. Um, if you went to, um, let's go over to First John. Let's go to First John chapter one. First John chapter one. And if we read just verse one of first John one, it says, What was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes and beheld, uh, and our hands have handled with regard to the word of life. And if we stop there, we'd say, Oh, he's talking about Jesus. And he is talking about Jesus. But what does he say at the end? One one. One one. I'm sorry. First John one one. Yeah, it said at the end of that he says this is about the word of life. For indeed, verse two he says, for indeed the life was made plainly visible, and we have seen it and give testimony and we proclaim to you the life, the eternal life, which was facing the Father and was made visible to us. That facing the Father. That's the same language out of John one where he says in the beginning was the word. The word was facing God and himself he was God. Same language here. So he's talking about the person of the Son, but what's he really focusing on with regard to the Son? Life. Eternal life, exactly, that he's demonstrated this eternal life. Now the whole issue of this eternal life is going to come out down below when he's talking about walking in light. He's talking about walking in light, verse 7, but if we walk in the light, and if, we have, if we've already read John, 1 John is like an addendum to the Gospel of John. <laughs> the Gospel of John shows Jesus living out this life. 
Now he's making an application to these readers in 1 John that, you know, that life that I already told you about, we disciples have told you about, I just gave you a letter or a book, 21 chapters about this. That life we saw, now we've told you about, that life, you have the potential to walk in that same light, verse 7. And these people know this. I mean, he's, he's making it clear that these people already should know this thing. In fact, one of the... We may not get done with this tonight because I'm just all of a sudden I want to run with this because there's so many things. Um, I just tie this to John 17.3. We're not going to go there. But John 17.3 says, this is what eternal life is. It's about knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Right, that's kind of a, makes a conundrum for some people. And they go, well, isn't Jesus Christ the one true God? Well, this is what he's talking about. Because he calls him the one true God at 1 John 5.20. And he calls him eternal life over there. So we have him called that, the son. It's called eternal life. But in John 17, 3, the reason he says the only true God in Jesus Christ when you sin is because you, God gives you eternal life. Not so you can just say, I got eternal life and I can live forever. So that you actually can get to know God. He uses the Greek verb gnosko. is to experientially know the one true God. There's only one true God. So why does he say Jesus Christ whom you sent? Because he's God too. Because I don't get to exercise absolute power. God has absolute power. He create the world. I'm not a Mormon. I'm not going to marry my spirit my, with my spirit wife and have spirit babies and create another universes and all that nonsense. It sounds like a sentence. Not a <laughs> you sound like my wife when you say that. <laughs> anyway. What? Anyway. But so, so, so we don't exercise that power. We do not exercise that power. Secondly, God knows everything. Absolutely everything. I don't know everything. I'm never going to know everything. I'm going to know everything God wants me to know at some point, but I'm not going to be able to know what the person next to me is thinking in their heads. And I'm not going to know, oh, if this had happened, then this could have happened. Remember, Jesus said that. Jesus says, hey, if the signs that were done in you, talking about Capernaum and, and these cities where he did a lot of these signs, if those had been done in Tyre and Sidon, or if they'd been done back in Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know they could have been, because you know who was standing up on a hill talking to Abraham? God the Son. He's standing up there with two angels. He could have gone down the hill with the angels and could have done those signs, but he did not choose to. He says those cities would have repented. You guys have seen the city, these signs? I think I said that right. These cities saw these signs Jesus did, and they go, nah. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, when he spoke on the one occasion, they took him out and they were going to try to throw him off a cliff. So we don't get absolute power, absolute knowledge, but God showed love. And can we show love? Yeah. Divine quality of love. Not the best Tim can do. That's the, that's the highest command under the law. Highest command under the law, love the Lord thy God with all your heart. In other words, you give everything you've got. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, love one another like I've loved you. We have to have a, we have a divine quality of love, which is why I need the Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit, because He's the one that puts that together for us. I can have God's kind of goodness. I can actually have a contentment and a happiness and actually want your contentment and happiness. I can have righteousness like God has. I can have God's kind of righteousness. I really can, because that's not a, something you have to be omnipotent for. And so we could go through these characters. So there are characteristics of God that are, shall we say, transmissible to us as the creatures 
by regeneration that we have the, the potential to live out. And that's what Jesus does. Now, if, now, the whole purpose of my chasing that over there in John 17, 3, is because that's the purpose of 1 John, is to try to say, you guys got eternal life. And you guys know what you should be doing with it? You guys should be loving. And you're not. Because, in fact, you guys have a little problem in your church. You got some antichrists, some people that denied either that Jesus was resurrected or denied that he was God, or both. And you guys haven't done anything to handle it. And you've got some young believers in your church, some paideia, some believers that are, maybe they're 50 years old, but they're new. And they're a little shaken by these guys leaving. And you guys that are mature should be stepping up and should be helping these people. But you're not. And John's kind of getting after them. Because apparently some of them are enamored with the world. And you've got all this stuff that's going on. And so instead of taking care of each other and helping each other, John is to say, you guys have eternal life. You have the ability, the potential, as he says in verse 3, 1 John 1, we've, what we have seen and we have heard, we proclaim to you in order that you may have fellowship, share something in common with us, for indeed, our fellowship or our sharing in common is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We're sharing in common with them when we share their life. We don't have a life like theirs. We are sharing in their life. They're sharing that with us by indwelling us. And John is saying, you guys, think about that. You have this privilege to actually share with God. Do you have a question? Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. I mean, you got to derail the train. It's okay. <laughs> That's all right. Eternity, um, Jesus was going, is he the only one that um, could have had eternal life? At that time? Oh, when eternity passed? Yeah. No, Father, Son, and Spirit, they all have eternal life. It's there. It's God's life. Part from of their in all it's, Yeah, it's okay. the, uh, part of their nature. Don't, don't confuse Son with Jesus. Yeah, okay. Jesus, Jesus was not in eternity past. Jesus had a beginning. Okay, well, let's be careful. Let, let no, me make sure. You know I, mean. I know what she you know means. What I mean. God, God the Son became a man at a point in time. That's yes, what she's yes, getting yes, at. Yes, Just make sure we're clear. Because we're all born sinners. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, if we get saved, are we, are we living eternal life right now? Or are we living eternal life after we die? We can be living eternal life right now. We have the potential to live it. The point there is we that eternal life is live. not living forever. Because yeah. eternal life could be either that way or this way. Well, not just that, but it's a quality of life. When we talk eternal life, we're talking quality of life. That's love, joy, peace, kindness. That's the eternal life. Yeah. Everybody lives forever. It's where they live. If someone is an unbeliever, they live forever separated from God. So the idea that eternal life is just length of life is really inaccurate and draws people astray. Um, when Robin asked that, the verse I thought of was John 15, because Jesus relates about he's the vine and we're the branches, and that without being our sustenance from the vine, we can do nothing apart from him. And, you know, you made the reference about you're certainly not putting mud in making someone blind, but it, it isn't really what you're doing. It's who you are related to. So you could be cleaning out your toilet from the right attitude and be doing it and ex doing an eternal life type of thing because you would be doing uh, 
an act of love for your family or sure. changing your diapers. I mean, we get this idea about eternal life. It's how you're doing it, what you, who you're related to, and it makes everything be a divine work rather than just something that you do. I mean, it's, you get what I mean? Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take that and go to First John three. But I want to take what Leslie said. She was using the example of the diaper. But what did Jesus do to demonstrate love? He washed feet. He washed feet, which we've talked about that before. If you had slaves in the house, that's you gave that to a household slave. The master didn't get down and wash the feet of disciple. In fact, Peter knew that. That's why Peter goes, "You're not gonna. You're the master. You're not washing my feet." And Jesus says, hey, you better let me wash your feet. Anyway, but so is that what we do? And of course, the other statement we get that Jesus later on says, lay down your life for your friend. And, you know, I grew up thinking, because I was taught that the way Jesus loved us was dying. So I thought, well, that means that if I really love Peg, I got to wait some time for someone to either run her down with a car and get out and push her out of the way and let the car hit me or jump in front of a gun, take a bullet. And you know what? I know all kinds of married couples have lived their whole life and no, one of them's never life has been in jeopardy. And I'm like, well, they lost an opportunity to show love. But notice in 1 John 3, this is where, this is where John fleshes out for you and I what this looks like. He says in verse 11, because of this message which we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It's not like Cain, that evil one, who slayed his brother like a sacrifice. And why did he do it? Eh, because, his, because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. In other words, don't be like that. Don't be a guy that gets so, that you don't care. It's like, oh, I'm going to hate you. That's not the kind of life that we're supposed to have. And do not be amazed. Um, yeah, do not be amazed, brothers. If the world hates you, we know that we have passed out of death into life, into this eternal life. Why? Because we love the brothers. In other words, and he says, we know this is a fact. He uses oida, we know this is a fact. Why does he have to say is a fact? Because some of them are, don't know this in their experience yet. Because some of them haven't grown up and matured enough to know what it's like to really lay down their life for a brother. They're selfish still. They're still struggling with this, and so they haven't come to this point. So they don't have experiential knowledge. They don't have gnosko. They only have oida. So we know as a fact that we've passed out of the realm of death. We've moved into this realm of life, eternal life, which he's talking about in this book, because we love one another. Not loving his brother, he remains at ease in death. What does that mean? I mean he's not saved? No. It means that there are believers <coughs> that are saved, and they're still acting like a dead person because they're not using the eternal life God gave them. So notice what he goes on. In fact, everyone that hates his brother, and this isn't ekthros hatred. Ekthros hatred is, I want to do you dirt. I want to do anything bad I can to you. This is missio hatred. This is the one, you know, if a card runs you down, I ain't probably going to push you out of the way. I'm not going to do that. Um, and, you know, and if and if something bad happens to you, oh, well, too bad. I mean, Tim, that is a really extreme example. I hate you if I don't jump in front of a car for you. That's But that's what missio hatred is. Missio hatred is a hatred that's like, I don't really care about you, and I don't really care what happens to you. It's an indifference. I don't care. Because we have another hatred, ekthros hatred, that's the violent hatred, which that's what John... Or, I'm going to push you in front of the car. Yeah, yeah. And Paul says that that's what we were to God. We were extra. 
but I'm not gonna kill you either. Yeah. <laughs> That's miss you, okay. <laughs> You'll never forget it now either. But what this does is it really puts a higher burden on it because if you're indifferent, it's a, you have the same character essentially as a murderer. Yeah. So bottom line is you're unrighteous. So it's so it's not like so it's not like these other believers in the church. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like these other believers in the church are trying to kick these other believers. It's not like they're intentionally trying to do violence to them. But he says you're not taking care of, not helping, not caring about them. That indifference, as Josh is saying, you might as well be a murderer. It's like that. Okay, can we talk about how that plays out in real life, like without pushing people in front of cars? Okay, that we're going to get to the next <laughs> okay. verse here. Okay, because we, we just haven't got there yet. I'm poking too long to get there. <laughs> it's a good question. So then he says, uh, but you know that every murderer does not have eternal life abiding at ease in him. Re abiding or remaining literally means it's not at ease in him. Verse 16, by this then we know the love of God. That that one, this is this is experiential knowledge. This is the experience of what we know. That that one laid down his life in place of us. I'm just trying to read the Greek. And we ought then on behalf of our brothers to lay down our lives. So he says, now this is the practical way this works out. You ought not to be indifferent. You ought to be one like Christ that lays down your life. How do you do that? Verse 17. For whoever has the things of this world that relate to biological life, he has bios for life and then the things of the world. What does it take for you to be able to survive in this world? Food, food shelter, water, shelter, shelter, water. Okay. Also love. Clothing, please. What? Love. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's suke. Yeah, okay. Okay. No, it's Coffee. not. Actually. It is not. It's actually the word by uh, ice cream. <laughs> he lays down his life, but he has. See, what did you use? Peggy's asking a question there. Um, I know. I was going to say this. We have to. Have to if anyone has this world's goods, it's the word goods. Mine says right there. Yeah. Bacon. Yeah. Bacon. Yes. Bacon. Yeah. Oh, Peg's asking about the word life in verse 16. It says, whoever, we know this love because he laid down his life for us. We have to lay down our lives for our brothers. And that word life is suke. Both of them, right? Yes. And suke is the word for soul. And it was used, the Greeks used it of the life that you live. They actually kind of looked at it as like a thing that animates your body. Your suke is part of what animates your body. But it also has to do with, what do you want? I mean, think about that. Every one of you, we go around the room, like have you have a piece of paper, write it down anonymously. What are some things you want out of life? I want to go to Cabo. I want to. I want more hair in my head. I, you, know, I, you know what I'm talking about. People have aspirations. No, I don't. I don't want to go to Cabo. I'm just. I don't. Just literally yeah, grabbing right. it. No, I want. Yes, I'd like more hair in my head. But, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you know what I'm saying. We all have things that we aspire to. We. Every one of us has things that are interests to us. And we. And they might not even be horrible interests. It's not like you know. We may not even say, hey, "I want to be president of the United States" or some crazy thing like that. We just might say, "Hey, I want a good job. I want all my kids to be healthy. I want, you know, just some basic things that most people would say." But they're the aspirations of your life, your soul. They're what your soul craves for. And that usually. Did Jesus so. crave to suffer on a cross and die? Did he crave for that in his human nature? No. That was a, that yeah, there was something beyond that. So he laid down that 
in order to lay down to die physically. And when he died physically, it doesn't say he gave up his soul. It says he gave up his spirit, is what it tells us in the Gospels. So with that then, he says to us in verse 17, so whoever has the things of this life that relate to the world, and he sees his brother. And that word see, important in the Greek, means he sees it well. I've used this illustration for a long time. Jeremy and Holland's boys come to, and I remember, I, I think I used this because I think this had happened many years ago when their boys were younger. They came and they were kind of grumbling back. I said, what's the matter? We didn't eat any breakfast this morning. And first thing that runs through my mind is, did they run out of money? Did they not have any food for breakfast this morning? That's the first thing that I run. Well, then Jeremy comes in there and, I'm, and I don't ask him. I don't go, hey, your boys didn't eat breakfast. No, what Jeremy says is they were all fighting and so, and they were, they were goofing around, not getting ready for church. And by the time we were ready to go, they hadn't sat down eating breakfast. And we said, well, you're going to church. You know, it was their, it was their fault that they didn't eat breakfast. It wasn't because mom and dad didn't have. And I use that as an illustration because he doesn't mean you look at something you think they have a need. No, you see, and they really do have a need. You can see the need. It's there. But you shut up your, this lower viscera, your gut feelings. Some of your Bibles might have hearts. Not the word cardia, it's splankna. It had to do with your guts. It's that pain in your gut when you feel, when you see someone suffering. And he says, you shut that up. He says, how does the love of God abide at ease in him? Therefore, little children, don't love in word or tongue. That doesn't mean you can't tell somebody that you love them, but that's not of itself love. It might be in some situation, because sometimes there's a person needs to hear you say, I love them. But what John says, what you really need to do is love them in work, in a deed, and in genuineness. Not just going through the motions of doing something because, well, I don't want Jeremy to think that I'm a jerk, so I'm going to do this good work, because otherwise he's going to go, well, Tim didn't help with that, so he must not really love, you know. No, genuinely love. Genuinely love. So okay, there's... I'd just like to add yeah. that just so it's clear, it does not say that this person, if he doesn't show that kind of love, that he isn't a believer. Yeah. It says that he's not abiding in the Son or in the Father. He's not comfortable there. He's living... For his own self, that doesn't mean he's not a believer, because there's plenty of believers that are could ignore um, another believer, and I don't think I don't want you to be disappointed when you see believers that don't measure up to God's word, because we don't measure up <laughs> a lot of the time. Yeah. Right. Okay. So we're gonna. That go is God's desire, but that's the whole reason for the exhortation here. Yes. Is that yes. we don't always measure up, and that's for the very next verse. Don't yeah, love in word or time, but indeed in truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She has no, a question. Nobody sees you, Lily. <laughs> I have to tell my first graders that too. I can't see your hand like this. So you just said that there is three types of love, right? show like not just saying it but you know, he said word deed deed word deed word deed and, deed and, deed and, and genuineness is what genuine. he said so how does that like i don't know the right word for it but everybody has a different love language and so like i want to understand 
Okay. I'm not really sure. So, I think like a lot of times that's why we have the spirit is to communicate to, to give you meaning to those words inside of you. It comes from within. Well, yeah, when you spirit. say love language, I think what you mean is that I'm I'm not real up on it, but you know, people say, well, what kind of love language do you have? Do you want someone to give it you flowers or do something service, more, yeah, service or whatever. Affirmation. Yeah, those <laughs> kinds of things, yeah. you know. So you said deed. Well, yeah, because the word deed simply is the word word. And so the essence of what John's getting at is real love will do something for somebody. It doesn't sit back and go, oh, yeah, I love you. No, it actually is going to act. A person's hungry because they don't have food. It's going to do something to feed him, which that was being an illustration from what he just said in the preceding verse. But it might be, what if a person needs you to sit down and take time with them? What if they need someone to sit down and just listen to them? Or just take, or maybe they need you to sit down and encourage them to have a better attitude. I've had to do that recently with somebody where I had to sit down and encourage them to have a better attitude with some other people. And I, and I said, hey, God's given us something much better than this bitterness that's going on here. And this person was kind of like, didn't want to hear it. But, you know, if you really love the people that were involved, you do that. So there's an example. Take time to listen. Go ahead. Is there a difference between the, the, the deed and the... Oh, the other word, genuineness? Yeah. I, the reason I use the word genuineness, I don't think they're different. What he's saying is, you can go through the motions of a work, but it's not real. Okay. I'm doing it to impress somebody else. Okay. It, what he's saying is, let it be, do a work, but let it be because you really love them. Actually have the real love. You have the potential to have the real love. If you don't have the real love, it's your fault, not God's, because he's given you everything to have his divine quality of love. And you can have that and you can genuinely work. Maybe now you define, were talking maybe define love. Love is patient and kind. Is that it those things yeah, those things out of John 13, they fit right into there. First Corinthians. First what did I say? <laughs> First Corinthians 13. Now, but it, 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 said um, you're actually doing it because you're trying to show love, not just because you're going to do it. Just because. Right. Or it because you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. This is what I'm yeah. supposed to do. Okay, so that's fine, but at what point do you do it because it's what you're supposed to do too? That's a tough one. That's and, loving God. And let's put it this way. I, I really... <laughs> I don't know how to answer. Have you ever done stuff for your kids? Every and you're mad day. And you're madder and can't get them. But you still love them. You want them. Oh, yes. Because ultimately you do love them, but you just, they're right now, they're a little That's rat. where Paul gets into saying uh, at the Bama seat, the, the mixed motives are going to be taken care of. Yeah. And anything you're ashamed of or you're not sure it's of, it's going to be burned up anyway. Yeah. And only the good stuff is going to stay. That's a good thing. Sure. You know, so... Keep reading. You know, and even Paul said that he, he there's times he didn't know if it was what his motives were. You know, 
And and Peggy just pointed out to go down to verses 19 to 20, and these are some verses that I struggled with, and Josh went over these back, I don't know, probably 15 years ago. This is chapter 3. It's right after the deed and truth. He says, by this we experientially know that we are out of the truth. Out of the truth means we really are relying on God. We're not just going through the motions ourselves. We really are relying upon God. We are. And before him, then we persuade our heart. Because if our heart should happen to condemn us, and that's a legitimate condition in the Greek in that case. In other words, sometimes your heart's going to go, hey, why did you act like that? Why did you feel like that? And sometimes your heart's going to get messed up. And he says, you sometimes have to come and say, God's greater than our heart. He knows all things. And so sometimes you basically have to come along and you have to kind of tell your heart to shut up and get in line with what God said. Because your heart's going to be feeling a little bit different about it sometimes. That's kind of So sometimes you have to persuade. You're the one that has to persuade your heart because your heart's down there going, but it should be like this. And remember what do you do with your heart? Make decisions. Make decisions. And so in this context here where you have this problem about whether you're going to love a brother and meet a need like this, there's some decisions in there that get all mixed up and you don't know sometimes which way to go. Well, along with that, that this whole thing kind of reminds me of an illustration like the more kind of down-to-earth, whatever, illustration dealing with believers in particular, but this can go for your children or your spouse too, is that you may have woken up and you have some kind of idea in your mind, oh yeah, plans, I've got to do this and this and this and this today, okay? And um, God has something different for you, okay? So when an opportunity comes up, and you see that there's something that, uh, a way that you can serve another believer, and you know that it's going to, you know, your plans are out the window if you do this. So at that point in time, you have to choose. You have to use your heart. You have to decide, okay, and that, okay, I see there's a need, like what Tim is saying. I see there's a need. Am I just going to go about, I really, really, really needed to get this done today, or am I just going to let that go? and have a good attitude about being able to serve another believer who needs help with something. And then, so if you have the right attitude and you've, and you've really let go of that and you're not, you're not kind of having a little bit of resentment like, oh man, I didn't get that done because I went to help so-and-so. Well, that's not a very good attitude. See, so you're not really living out that eternal life. Sure. You have to have the right motive, the right attitude about it. But God will put these opportunities in front of you and then you recognize them, you have to be willing to lay down those things which you wanted for that day, that moment, that month, whatever it is, let it go without a resentment, and with the right attitude, serve that other believer. And you don't even okay. have to mention that you're giving up your plans. That's you all great. Let's say you can't. Mm -hmm. Should you still serve? You can't give up your plans? No, you can't have the right attitude. Well, you can. I was going to say, you can. Yeah. yeah. It's another Worse. <laughs> but, okay, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But reality is that, right, that sometimes you won't. So if I can't, if on that day I'm like, I know I should do this, but I just don't, don't want, want to. to. Right, right. Then it's with hand still. Yeah, there's with hand still. Or you could, you, could, you could go and... 
and you don't want to do it, and you say, well, I'm just going to do it anyway. And God can like, change. Like, I'm not trying to be difficult it. here. No, I'm just no, trying I'm to saying, say, like, this is, no, this is real. real. God, it's real. Yeah. Like, There's nothing wrong with that. God doesn't need you. Wrong. Yeah. You're somebody exactly. else. Uh, well, you get into He's that. You go into a situation kind of feeling like, oh, man, I, just, um, I can't really do this uh, good attitude. Well, then but then God can change that around. For you, the spirit. You have to allow. And even, I, I, it's more like you have to allow God. To you change. have to allow yeah. God to, yeah. God, but I God mean, will it may not it, even happen. It may not even sure. happen until you've gotten, you know, to where you're helping or something. At the same time, and it may not. Our access to God is not based on our performance. Exactly. Right. That's right. God, it's grace. That's yeah. right. So ultimately, you're going to have days where. You refuse and you yes. don't do whatever you're asked to do. And that's then right. you don't and you miss that's out right. and that's it. And level. you will still have other opportunities and sometimes you'll do it and you'll grumble and complain right. in your head the whole way and it'll be burned up you right. know, with, with a stubble. Okay. And other times you'll do it and you'll have the right attitude mm -hmm. or you'll mm -hmm. do it starting grumbling but then God will change, change. you in the middle of it. You've got every scenario possible. Sometimes you'll do it sometimes you won't. move yeah. And it's just, if, if for whatever reason you end up not doing it, then it's a missed opportunity. Because God has those appointments for you. you be if for whatever reason not, you end up doing it, some will be burned up, some won't be. That's right. Yeah. I, let's throw a wrench into this. Give it to oh, thanks. He's given enough wrenches. <laughs> what if you have two things that move you at the same time and you can only do one of them? Sure. Pick one. Now you have to have the leading of the Spirit. Yeah. It's not just X, Y, Z, do, perform. You know, oh, the game's starting right now. They did the, the Pledge of Allegiance. Blah, blah. Game time. You know, now you have to be at two games, and this person's going to be upset if you don't help them, and this person's going to be upset if you don't help them. What are you going to do? Is there a right answer to that? No. God knew which one you were yeah, going to pick. One of them. God, God's <laughs> yeah. trusting you to pick so one of them. And it may not be the right one. So be, God is consistent, yeah. so he's not going to have you, he's not going to have two appointments. Well, it's a maturity yes, thing. All it is is a maturity yeah. thing. Yeah. And, and, you, and, you're, and you're, you, your conscience might feel bad, which is part of your heart. Sure. And that's where that's saying. Your heart's going to condemn you, but little Jiminy Cricket isn't your guide. It's the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. the Holy Smash Spirit. the cricket. The little you know, over here the if angel. you direct faith Stop the it. promise that yes. says all things work together. For good no, for those that are loving, loving God. Yeah. If right. you're directing left, hey, it really doesn't matter which one you do, exactly. but the Spirit really is guiding you to do one of them. Otherwise, you'd be going nuts. Yeah. Are you oh, listening? Yeah. You know. Uh, now, are you going to get in trouble if you accidentally love the wrong? No. <laughs> you know, you're still loving. Right, because we're not sitting around in Deuteronomy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We're not sitting around in Deuteronomy. Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> Which brings us back to what curses and blessings. my head comes back to a lot these days is it's not all about us. So there might be two different things, and maybe God has one of them for you for that person to get something, and the other person to either figure it out on their own or learn how to deal with whatever thoughts or feelings or struggles right. they're having in that situation. Yes. For growth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Heart growth. That, that, that dirty growth. little word. Growth? Yes. The G word. <laughs> the G word. But I was going to say to you, too. Who are you pointing at? Okay. I wasn't anywhere near there. Listen, Linda. <laughs> okay, so the word 
where you felt like it was mentioning a couple different kinds of love here. It, I mean, the only way it really was is in word, I love you, or in deed, an action. And all it was saying is God's kind of love is always doing something for somebody. It's not just mushy gushy, I love you, right? So it wasn't really talking about different types of love here, and I think that's what yeah. Dr. got you confused. As far as love language, that's kind of a world system idea, yes, humanism, whatever. But it doesn't mean that people won't have things met based on what they need, which might be their love language. It might not be. It might be just what God knows they need. So that, I think, is where you got confused. But there are different kinds of love in the Bible. Brotherly love, God's kind of love, but that's not Storage what this... Love. Yes. Thank you. I couldn't remember the third one. Mm -hmm. But that's not what this was getting at. And so this was just talking about either love between a man and a woman. That's right. Yeah. But that one's not in... The love language thing, Lily, that is very humanistic. Yeah. That That is a concept of, this is the kind of love that... I can relate to yes. that. I will so, react to, and that I mean that makes it really self-centered. Yes, real love means I'm going to do something for your benefit. You may not even enjoy it, but it's real love. It's not so. <laughs> I can either like give it. you, yeah, I can either say, oh, come and put your head on my shoulder and cry and moan and be. Or I can sit here and encourage you. Hey, who are you in Christ? Where are you right now? Some people like to have people just listen, listen, listen to me whine and complain all the time. That's not love. That 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 would not be me loving you. Real love is I can encourage you with truth. And I just want to. Yeah, an example of it also means sometimes you just sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes. because sometimes yes. person's going through something hard. Yes, yes. but really, but that love experience. language stuff, that is a very yes. self-centered kind of love. This is the kind Somebody of love that I need in my life. No, it's not. That Some of that love stuff is that's just selfish stuff. I, I had a friend that I had a friend that used to call me at least once a week. Mm -hmm. And would get on the phone, and I would be on the phone for an hour, an hour and a half with this person, going over every week the same problems, which we had walked through and walked through again. And after a while, I realized, I'm sitting here, and I'm just listening to this person complain about their problem. He never, he never responds according to what we've gone over in Scripture. I'm sorry, Tim. No, <laughs> I wasn't going to say it was you, Josh. I'm sorry. But... But what, what happened was then, Peggy and I were watching something on TV and was talking about these people, and they weren't, they weren't believers or Christians to my knowledge, and, or the one guy wasn't, but he was talking about having a friend that was a heroin addict, and how he eventually realized he was enabling this heroin addict by continuing to help him go through this every, whenever this person needed another fix and doing this, and eventually they had to say, I can't do this for you anymore. And it was like, oh my goodness, this is like defining this relationship with this individual that I've got every every week going on. And I finally said, told him that. I said, this isn't loving to you for me to sit here and let you just spend an hour going over all of your problems that you're just, oh, because this person did this to me and this, you know. And I was like, I love you enough that I've got to stop you here. And I've got to say, you have got to focus on who God is and you've got to focus on what God is doing and quit focusing on Everybody that's done you dirt in life, because that is not helping you. And it's not what that person wanted to hear, but I'm still convinced to this day 
I wish it had turned out better, but that person doesn't talk to me. Well, that's not true. The person does once in a while, but for a long time didn't talk to me afterwards because I thought that they, I wasn't loving because I wouldn't tolerate that. So I would, anyway, we'll stop with that. That's how, all these scenarios is why we need the spirit. Because the exact thing is not going to happen to us, and we have to have the spirits leading to direct us in which way to go and how to handle a problem. It might not be the same every time. It could be different for different people, and different things happen. And the spirit leads you in the direction that you need to go. There's not like a card here. Oh, check, check, check. Yeah. And part of the spirit's leading in there, I think, is recognizing the the need that that person really has, or how to love them best. So I'm going to use an example from many years ago. And my wife is so loving that on this hand right here, she wears a anniversary ring. <laughs> The engagement ring and wedding ring, we lost those on our, <laughs> on an anniversary trip. <laughs> oh, okay, I got that wrong. That's what I always think it disappeared, was at a place on the coast. Wow. Okay. Somewhere anyway. in Mr. Crabtree's lawn. Okay. Oh, that's <laughs> anyway, but she wears this, and I gave that to her because I, I had, let's put it this way, I'd been being a really lazy husband, and I had not really been demonstrating love. Comes around our anniversary, and it's like, man, how do you get yourself out of, uh, hole that you've dug for yourself by being a jerk. You buy jewelry. I went to the jewelry store and bought her jewelry and I gave it to her. And you know what she said? She just looked at it and said nothing. And I was like, really? And then she comes back and she goes, you don't know me. She goes, do I, you see me? I, she hardly ever wears jewelry. She's not a jewelry person. She's not, I can give her flowers and she'll say thank you, but she's not a flower person. This isn't, a, if it used to be, I might bring her chocolate. She would have said thank you, but she can't do that anymore. But I, that, I'm just using it as an example I did something that, in my mind, sounded loving, but if I would have paid attention to her, which I was not doing at the time, I wouldn't have done that. I would have found a better way to love her, which would have been just doing and the things she really wanted. What you just described is what all that love language yes. says. Yes. Yes. Right. It's get yes. to know your particular mate, which is the because yeah. they don't. Every woman doesn't like the same thing. Every right. man doesn't like the same thing. You find out what your particular person wants, right. and that's what that whole love language thing is. Right. But with and agape, I, it's worthless. Yeah. Worthless. And on another level, but then, that that's true. Unbelievers can have good marriages. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But on another level, that that can be true with any relationship with anybody, not just a marriage relationship. Mm -hmm. It's recognizing what a person really needs in a given situation. And sometimes I can't perceive that. I've had times where God's brought people across my path, and I, I know they've got a need, but I can't figure out for the life of me what it is. But you just take the time that God puts you there, and as you're there, you end up interacting and end up doing You just the whole time you're saying, God, just help me to not mess this up. Help me just, and when you go away and you come find out, and maybe you don't find out right away. Maybe you find out a year later that, you know, that day that we went and did that thing, that was really helpful for me. You're like, really? I didn't think you got anything out of it. But, you know, and I don't mean to keep belaboring this and pointing at myself, but I had to learn this. I have people, I, I, my mind, I always think the best way for me to love the body of Christ is for me to spend a lot of time studying so I can really teach the Bible. It's 
one of the best things. But that's not the only thing. That's not the only thing I can do. There's a lot of other things, and I've got people that need time, and and I have somebody that I spend time with regularly. And and some days I'm like, man, I am so behind because we did this and this and this, and I am so behind. Man, I'm not going to get this done. And my wife goes, my wife kindly reminds me, sometimes people just need your time. And you take your time, and you know, I've never gone through the going, man, I wasted my time with that person. You always go, thank God, thank you for that. That was, I'm so glad you used my wife to call my attention to the fact I just needed to take time. And the Bible study that you end up teaching goes fine, even if you only had a half hour to work on it or something, which is crazy. Especially so. when the people you're teaching ask a thousand questions unrelated to what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's completely related, because we're talking about the light of life right. and living that out. So what does that look like? How are we lights in the world? I, just it, it. John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Not that you can pass a doctrinal quiz. Not that you've got the verse. Every time a person got a problem, you got the verse you can go to. It's the love that you demonstrate for one another. The world has a concept of what love is. And when they watch believers really loving one another, they see that. And they can look at that. And they, if they're, God's doing work, they go, I want that. I want, to be, I, want to, I want to have that relationship. I want to be part of that. And so I look at us. I look at the body of Christ. I look at the other believers in this town. I'm thankful for Lewis getting the guys group together because it's it it has been a challenge for me. I, I think I've told you this before. When New Life opened down there, that we don't need another evangelical church in this town. Just oh, I was so mad. I was mad for a long time, and I have thanked Kurt and Christina Anderson for coming over here and doing that the thing because that kind of helped me realize that I needed to connect with other believers in there and I was being selfish by not doing that. And uh, it's believers, not just our church, but believers in general, really interacting, being engaged with people, with one another. That's what wins them. The world does not won by us loving them. The world by is our, their, well, I shouldn't say they're one, but they're, the testimony they see is us loving each other. And if you go to the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, the biggest failure of the church is that we don't love. We've left our first love. We're all about the doctrine. There's, and that's not a bad thing. Jesus praises them for that. But doctrine without love is kind of meaningless. And so laying hold of eternal life, using that, living it out, that's how we're lights in the world. And the world does see that. We lay hold of eternal life by relating to and having fellowship with the Father, with God, Father, the Son, the Spirit, so that then they can work in our life, so that then now we are living out this life. This is laying hold of eternal life. We are loving them because we have this happening instead of people. That's what I just heard. And that's creating that's light, right? Is right. that creating light? That that it's God creating light. He's we have the eternal life here, but when that life is active, when it's actually doing something, laying itself down in love, that's light, light. That the light's turned on. So we always have the life, but some people look at us and we look like we're dead. So we don't look any different to than make that. an analogy. It says that when Christ did miracles, his glory was seen. He didn't it wasn't a second sun that was shining on earth. It was those acts. And similarly, 
and we live out the Christian life, and we live out love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faith, well, that's showing out glory also. And just in response, or agreeing with what Robin's saying, but putting this together in John 15, and somebody mentioned this earlier about the vine and branch, Jesus said, you abide in me. And I abide in you. As the branch is not able to bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vines, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one abiding in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. We, the first thing we do in laying hold of eternal life is we remember who we are in Christ, in the vine. And then that creates a hospitable environment for him to be at ease in us. And he can live out his life. And when you don't do that, you do nothing. You can be busy about tons of stuff. You can have the most busy church in the world. You can be one of these churches that go to and they've got a list this long of opportunities that week. And you could check off and say, I'm going to do every one of those things that that church offers. But if you're not abiding in Christ, you're not remembering who God says you are in Christ with all these other people. And you're just running around. <laughs> Burning calories is all you're doing. But you're not. You're not. You're getting tired. <laughs> well, and I think that I think a lot of times when Christians go, oh, like pastors and pastors do this, I burn out. I pastor burnout. Burn out, yeah. I am. I am positive when pastors burn out, it's because they're doing either they're doing what God wants them to do by their own flesh, or they're doing what they think they should be doing, but it isn't particularly what God wants them to do. And I've done both. <laughs> So, because but that's true for anybody. Sorry. If you're yeah. empowered by the Holy Spirit, you don't have that burnout because yeah. it's God doing the work, not you. Is that right? Yeah, you're not. You may be exhausted. Yeah, you you, you may exhausted, exhaust yourself, yeah, but, but that's not burning out. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Not where you got to throw in the towel and say, "I gotta, Jesus I gotta got quit." Tired. Yes. yes, he did. Yeah. Physically. Yeah. My body is physically worn out. <laughs> that's just in Christ. And then my spiritual lazy boy. <laughs> what did you call yourself? I mean, my spiritual lazy boy. I know they look like I worked hard, but I'm fooling y'all. Okay. Well. I didn't get through all of the, I, don't, I didn't get through half of these, but you know what? I'm like, I'm. see again, God has something different in store, and that's fine. I That's actually one of those things when I listen to all of you interacting, I'm like, I really like this. Uh, I do. I'm not trying to be selfish. So. Yes. Thank you for asking Yeah. So I'm going to stop this.